In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're gonna have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. All right, we got a great episode for you guys today. Short, practical, to the point. We're going to hit you guys with some knowledge. This comes from a training that Nicole had recently been doing with a member of our team. And I think everyone's always really surprised, Nicole, to learn when you talk about training, so much of it is non-physical skill training with people. Yeah. You know, I think that it is super easy to assume that, oh, she must be doing all of these like magical things, right? Joint mobilization, fascial release techniques is why I find it kind of funny sometimes when you guys are like, oh, I want more manual techniques for my patients. And well, manual therapy is really important and there are multiple different techniques that you can use for myofascial release and all kinds of muscle work, fascial work. A lot of the times when I'm training other physical therapists, including people on my staff, it's so much more about the stuff in between the lines, right? The stuff in between the mobs, let's say. So it's not just about that. It's about how we're talking to people. It's about what information we're getting from patients and how are we using that to guide their care in a way that's more individualized. Because individualized care means definitely part of the physical, but it also means taking the whole person into account. And we can't take the whole person into account if we don't know the whole person. So that's what it is. Cool. So we're going to give you guys some specific techniques on that. While speaking about our team, Pelvic Sanity is once again hiring. We've got two rooms out here to fill now that our Pelvic Sanity expansion project is complete. So anybody has any interest or knows anybody who would be interested, Southern California is a wonderful place to work, I will say. Seriously. And you know what? I will just dispel one myth too. A couple of of times that we've hired before, and I've met up with some people that maybe didn't put in an application. They were like, oh, you're super nice in person. I thought that you were going to be so intimidating to work for, or I would never have applied because I didn't think I was ready. And that, I just need to dispel that myth, man, right away. Anybody can be ready to work at Pelvic Sanity. We take anywhere from new grads to we'd be super open to somebody that had a lot of experience. We are willing to train. We are willing to mentor. There's a structured mentorship program and structured training program here at Pelvic Sanity. And that's built into your salary. And man, we're looking for somebody that's super passionate about pelvic health and really just wants to kick ass at pelvic floor physical therapy. And so we are not looking for somebody who is just sort of dabbling in pelvic health, but we are certainly looking for our next couple of team members. Like Jesse said, the expansion project is 
almost complete. So help me God, it was supposed to be completed in May, I think it was. May or June. God dang it. So we're just about ready to jump off a cliff about that. But now that it's done, we have seven treatment rooms plus another three. So we are ready to rock and roll with more members for Pelic Sanity. Cool. I'm going to put a link in the show notes with the ad that's up. But if you guys have any interest, make sure you just shoot Nicole an email with your resume and a cover letter, Nicole at PelvicSanity.com. So if you were to work at Pelvic Sanity, these are the kinds of nuggets that you would be getting in person on a daily basis. How is that for a segue? But this is all about never settling for a single answer. And talk to me about this, Nicole, because you said that it's something that you see younger PTs especially struggling with. Yeah, and younger PTs, both new to physical therapy in general and new to pelvic PT. I think as you're learning a new set of skills and learning how to talk about the pelvic floor with patients and how to talk about their symptoms, the tendency for anybody that's newer, and I'm talking like less than three years of experience, is really just to ask the list of questions. Like, let me now to ask you about your bladder symptoms. Let me now ask about your bowel symptoms. Are you constipated? Do you have incomplete emptying? Are your bowel movements formed? How many times a day do you go? Right? We're going down the list and we're basically it's right around Christmas, going down the list, checking it twice. We are going down the list of things. And then we are basically saying like, yes, I need to care about that or no, I don't. And if it's no, I don't, then we forget about it forever. Are your bowel movements naughty or nice? That's it. (laughs) Good one. So now your dumb joke just got me all messed up. What am I talking about? Well, I was really proud that I didn't do it about is your sexual function naughty or nice. So that oh, was, good job. I was like, ah, good, good. That was a nice job of myself and restraining. But you were talking about just kind of going through the checklist and then saying, if somebody says no to a certain symptom or a certain thing that you're looking at, you can say, oh, phew, just discard it. We don't ever need to talk about that again. Yeah. And you guys, I just feel like so many of our patients, and I think we forget this too, because we're so used to talking about pelvic floor stuff, that we forget that a lot of patients aren't super comfortable talking about it. They don't really want to be answering the questions. They kind of can't even believe they're sitting in your office and they're just super stoked to just answer the question like, no, I don't have that weird thing that you're asking me about, and then, right, move on. But what my challenge to you is, and we're going to talk about why this is super important here in a second, but my challenge to you is is to never take the person's first answer at face value and always look for multiple questions, follow-up questions that you can ask to a single question. So give me an example, Nicole. What does that look like? And I know you kind of talked about it in your little intro, but it doesn't mean that you're not taking the patient's word for something, but they might not even understand the question. I feel like constipation is one that you're always asking about that 99%, I wish there was a study on this, speaking of research, like I bet 99% of people don't think that they're constipated. Right. And they are. And the thing is, is like when we know that that is such a huge component to drive all kinds of bladder pain, pelvic pain, sexual dysfunction, you know, posterior pelvic floor dysfunction, all of that, like it's super important. And I know on our questionnaire, it says like, oh, have you suffered from constipation? But that is not the end of the questioning. It what we want people to keep doing at our on our staff is to continue to ask 
oh, okay, so if you say, no, I'm not constipated, be like, okay, cool. So what that means is that you go every single day and it is a this type of a sausage-like, you know, grade three or four on the Bristol stool scale, and we're like showing them that. And, you know, it's super easy to come out. You don't have to strain, nothing like that. Is that still true? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, uh-oh, right? Or they'll be like, do you feel like you completely empty your bowels every time? And they'll be like, yeah. And they'll be like, okay, well, but you said over here that, you know, you don't feel like it's very easy to come out. Well, it's like, so you're looking for inconsistencies the whole time on these questions. And so it's not that we're not believing people, but we're looking for their answers to be consistent in a wide variety of ways that we're asking. Well, and that's, I just think it's so interesting too. I feel like you are so deliberate in your communication with patients. Like there's nothing in there that's an idle question, really. Never. It's not, you know, an idea of like, oh, I think a lot of times people when somebody have a, like a very affable person, you might just be tempted to sit back and like, let them talk. Like, hey, how was your weekend? And then 45 minutes later, okay, Tracy, thanks. Yeah. And that is, I mean, I am constantly inserting myself into their talking because I want to know things. I'm really actively listening. And if there's something that I need to know more about that's tangentially related to their pelvic floor symptoms or their nervous system or their anxiety or anything else, like I need to know that. I need to know it whether it's for something that I'm going to change with my treatment, I need to know it if I'm going to refer them to somebody else. I need to know it in terms of knowing and understanding how they learn. How can I make it easier for them when I'm giving them their home exercise program? I'm looking for all kinds of stuff. It's not just me having a conversation. And I think that sometimes when we are trying to make people feel comfortable about going to pelvic PT, We want the conversation to be real jolly, right? Conversational and how was your weekend? Oh, how fun. That was great. I went here. I love this area. Have you gone to, I don't know, Kohl's lately and seen the sale, right? We're trying to get them comfortable talking to us, but we're also then missing some of the opportunity to always bring it back to something about why they're there. You know, one of the things that you said in that was, I think another one that is probably a lot more prevalent than people will answer yes on a questionnaire is anxiety. Right. So you guys, how many of you guys have patients that that actually have nervous system upregulation, right? And we call that nervous system upregulation a, a sympathetic nervous system overdrive that a patient wouldn't necessarily think of it as anxiety, How many patients would say, yes, I have depression or anxiety, not sometimes not that many, or sometimes a less percentage that actually do than actually do. And we're talking about nervous system overdrive and all of these things. And they're as anxiety and anxiousness, and they're not connecting the dots because they don't think they have anxiety. And so I think that this is also an area where we can question. If they say, no, have you ever been treated for anxiety or depression? No. Are you ever feeling anxious? Sometimes people are saying yes, but a lot of times they'll say, no, not really. Or no, I'm pretty good at dealing with this, right? They're very high functioning people. Good examples of this are like your big professional people, like lawyers and doctors and 
those type of type A personalities that have served them very well in their professional life and is not serving their pelvic floor well. So they don't want to really, really want to identify as having anxiety or anything like that. They just are, I'm super busy. I get shit done. I'm type A, but they don't really consider that being straight up nervous system upregulated. And you'll never find that unless you start asking those follow-up questions. And you'll never be able to not only just find it, but get them to understand and get them to, because when we ask open-ended questions, we can get them to get make realizations by themselves. And that's really where I feel like the magic happens. It's one thing for me to say, actually, so-and-so, it sounds like your nervous system is really upregulated. If I can ask seven follow-up questions that get them to understand that they're actually functioning in a nervous system upregulated state, then the light bulb goes on for them. And then now it's like when you can now connect the dots between that and their pelvic floor symptoms, now all of a sudden you've really helped them to internalize an issue and you're going to give them the way forward out of that problem. Right. So practically speaking, how do we do this? Well, I'll tell you one other story first when this actually happened, that was a very good depiction of this, right? So a good example of this is I had a patient who I've been treating for a while. He's got some chronic pelvic pain issues, and we've been uncovering a lot of things up in his thoracic spine and all kinds of stuff. So I asked him, how was your weekend? What did you do, right? And he goes, oh, I spent, you know, Saturday doing some cleaning, We could at that point have stopped and said like, oh, I hate cleaning or made some other like, ooh, like uh, trying to connect with him on that, right? Oh, I had to clean too, or I hate cleaning or... All work and no play. I hope you were able to do something fun. Like, did you get some exercises in all that time? Except in this way that I'm going to share with you guys where we're not settling for a single answer where he says cleaning. I said, what were you cleaning? Oh, my house. What part of your house? Well, I was actually only cleaning my bathroom and my upstairs bedroom. And I was like, what was so dirty about that? Right. And he was like, oh, my gosh. Well, I was four hours on my hands and knees scrubbing with a toothbrush, the grout. And I was like, oh, gosh. Okay, so like now we have a lot of things to talk about. Right now we have was it actually super dirty? Like, had you not cleaned it for a while? No, he does that almost every single week, right? And I'm like, oh, like who scrubs the grout every single week with a toothbrush? Like, I sure don't. I mean, maybe I'm like (laughs) super dirty or something, but right? So then we talk a lot more, ask him way more questions. Do you always do that? Have you always been like that? Does your wife clean anything too? Is she helping you? No, she thinks I'm kind of cuckoo. And I said, you know, why? And she goes, because I'm always, I do the same thing with my car, right? Where I'm always like doing all of these things because I need everything to be neat and tidy and clean. Okay. I had known this guy for a while. And because I questioned him this like this, I didn't realize that he had some OCD like tendencies around cleanliness. Okay. Now that all stemmed from me taking, not taking his 
his answer of like, I cleaned over the weekend and now I'm asking multiple questions and I'm getting him to talk about the fact that he has, he's like a germaphobe, he says, right? That's his word that he used. I actually don't like germs. I don't want to, I was like, do you even use that bathroom? No, but if I did one time, I'd want to make sure it's clean. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like we need to... (laughs) There is a source of some of the nervous system upregulation that's happening that might have been untreated. Have you ever talked to anybody about this? Right now we're all talking about his potential OCD-like behavior that is also causing him to be on his hands and knees for four hours and reaching and doing all the physical things. So now we have a lot of other things to cover, all because I kept asking him questions about his the answer that he gave to my question of what did you do this weekend? And follow-ups to a incredibly boring answer, right? I mean, that's that's a answer that almost begs for you to just take it and move on. What did you do this weekend? Oh, I cleaned. Yeah, I was that's like, not what usually, did you clean? Right? In, <laughs> in a casual conversation, that's where, and I love how you talk about this in the essentials and how much of that is all about communication, but this is not a casual conversation. This is not going up and asking a friend, what did you do this week? And they're like, oh, I cleaned. And they're like, oh, cool. Then end of that line of questioning. Yeah. You guys, the more that you get your patient to speak to you and talk to you about what their life is like, the more insight you are going to have into their entire being and their entire pelvic floor and potentially why they're having their symptoms. And you're going to get a much more individualized focus when you are giving them exercises or giving them things to do, right? If this guy's spending four hours a day or over a weekend cleaning, right, then what am I going to do about that when I'm adding on other things to his? And maybe do I want to give him quadruped type alternating arm and leg stuff when he was just doing that for four hours? Like I might want to rethink like what I'm doing or give him a routine or help him break up that task or see if he can't break up, if he can't break up that task because he has to finish it, then, you know, where we're going to go with that in terms of referrals for a mental health provider and all kinds of stuff. There's so much information in the stuff that you wouldn't think needs follow-up questioning. So what is the challenge, Nicole? What is the takeaway? How are we going to implement this if you are listening to this and you're like, ooh, man, I sometimes let people get away with just one answer. My challenge to you this week, this podcast is coming out on Monday. So this whole week, I want you all to really focus on adding three follow-up questions to every one thing that your patient answers to you. So you have a question, they give you an answer. I want you to think about three different follow-up questions that stem from that one thing that you asked originally. And see where it takes the conversation. See where it takes the conversation. And you will be surprised, I hope. You will gain so much more insight. It will help you to put the focus back on the patient and really, instead of it being a true, true, true conversation like friends would have, it will be a true practitioner-patient conversation that will hopefully gain so much more meaning and insight into their life. So that's it. That's the challenge. Three follow-up questions for every question that you ask. Even if it seems super dumb, like, What did you do this weekend? Oh, I cleaned. I want you to think about 
all of the different things that you could ask and wait for their responses and then ask something else. I mean, it's going to be hopefully, I'm crossing my fingers, hopefully going to be eye-opening for you. And it's really going to hope to help to focus your conversation a little bit better. Yes. So let us know how that goes. If you try it, if you struggle with it, if you try it and it provokes amazing conversations, you feel like you're getting to know your patient better, getting to go deeper, let us know. We always want to keep this conversation going. Especially this time. And let's continue to rise. Rise.